You know, Jesus warned us that in the end times, deception like a virus will spread like wildfire. Disguised as the answer to all our problems, our secular culture can only offer replacements to the truth. The good news is that the truth of the Bible is the cure. In Pastor Jack Hibbs' new book called Living in the Days of Deception, he reveals the antidote to the lies we're told that have become increasingly harder to detect. From the inspiring foreword written by Mike Pompeo to the final chapters, Pastor Jack exposes how to combat deceptive spirits and equips us when we're deceived by the ultimate liar, Satan himself. Living in the Days of Deception by Jack Hibbs is a powerful must-read, and when you order, you can bundle by getting the DVDs and a downloadable link for a gift of any amount at jackhibbs.com radio. That's jackhibbs.com radio. Hey everybody, we had a great podcast today. We've got Kyle Mann. Kyle Mann is the chief editor of the Babylon Bee. And we're excited. I think you're going to find some great insights. You're going to find some very powerful truths about how much we need humor in our life, right? Thank God for the Babylon Bee. So here we go. I want you to put your pods in, turn your volume up, and let's roll with this. Real Life presents the Jack Hibbs Podcast with intention and boldness to proclaim truth, equip the saints, and impact our culture. You can get the outlines of this podcast by going to jackhibbs.com slash podcast. Today, if this podcast lifts you up and encourages you to live a more fulfilled life in Christ, then make sure you leave us one of those five-star ratings. To us, that's like saying amen or yes. Then that rating will encourage others to listen. Now open your hearts to what God's Word has to say to you. Kyle, I've got to ask you something right now. It says here that you used to be in sales at the Western Water Works Supply Company, and now that you're editor-in-chief of Babylon Bee, is that true, or is this a Babylon Bee? <laughs> it is absolutely true, yeah. I was in construction sales for 11 years before I started writing comedy for a living, which is the most bizarre jump. You know, people always assume that, like, I started out, you know, pe people who write start out as assistant editors or sure. kind of, freelance writing before they get into, you know, a more a more prominent role like like the editor in chief of a satire site. But it was uh it was a, a bit of a journey. I uh I was always I always enjoyed comedy. I always enjoyed satire. Um I was in various different church environments over the years. So, you know, you're kind of absorbing it all. And, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about it, but comedy and satire is such a good coping mechanism and anyone who's been bashing their head in a, against a keyboard at a sales job all day you know knows that you need to retain yes. that sense of humor so it's kind of a good path when you think about it you know that we that we were using humor to kind of uh, rally the troops and be able to take do a, a nine-to-five office job um, day to day and uh, yep. the Babylon Bee launched in March 2016 I sent in a, a joke it was um, it was uh, uh, Holy Spirit unable to move through congregation as fog machine breaks, and that there was our first. <laughs> that I was love our first, it. <laughs> that was our first big viral hit, and uh, so the owner of the site said, "Do you want to write? Do you want to be the head writer?" And I started doing it, and two years later, I got hired uh, full time as the editor in chief and made that career jump. 
Incredible. I love it. I love the fact, and it is a fact, that you mention that humor and satire is a, um, it's part of our human function, right? When things mm -hmm. are rough and difficult, mm -hmm. which is rather interesting because um, I've been to other parts of the world where there's, there's cultures where you're actually not really allowed to laugh mm. and they actually don't even want to laugh. I won't name those countries because I have friends there, but um, they just, we, as an American, and I'm not saying as an American red, white, and blue, I'm talking about as an American the way that we're brought up, we often cope with difficult situations, not in a disrespectful way by making something funny. It's actually some form of our ability to survive a challenging event or a bad time. And so for you guys, it's been amazing because the more pronounced or demonstrative, I'm thinking like the Trump era, you guys were so incredibly effective and funny. And now we're in the dark days of Obama or Biden or whoever it is. And um, it even adds more uh, to your list of, <laughs> well, because we want to laugh. We need to laugh now. Yeah. Um, yeah. Humor is, humor is such a great, you know, humor has so many functions. You know, there's a prophetic role that it plays in, in proclaiming truth. Um, and there is a comfort element to it, you know. Um, we get people that write in and say that they're going through the hardest season in their lives, um, you know, whether that's the death of a friend or family member or, um, you know, just financial struggles or whatever mm -hmm. it is. And they say that the only way that they're able to really consume the news uh, is through the Babylon Bee because they're able to, to learn about what's going on in the outside world, but through the satirical lens that helps make them know like, hey, it's going to be okay. It's not the end of the world. We know who's in control of history, so we don't have to worry about, you know, this or that little uh, event. Right. When, when, you joke about, when you joke about events, you really give them less power over us. I love it. That's so true. So true. Um, you guys, um, if I remember right, didn't I see you guys on Tucker, for example, on the uh, Tucker Carlson show? Yeah. I mean, we, that's huge. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and you think about that, like how crazy that is that Christian news satire site, you know, <laughs> launched six, right. six, six years ago, having having this broad cultural impact through things like Tucker Carlson becoming an ally of us. And, you know, right. we're finding these allies out in the world that, you know, maybe some of them aren't necessarily allies in faith or maybe they're not our brothers Correct. and sisters in Christ, um, but are actually, you know, allies in, the, in this culture war. They stand side by side with us in certain yeah. issues, defending free speech or whatnot. That's crazy to me. I mean, that yeah. we feel humbled and honored and totally not worthy of well, <laughs> that kind but, of impact. But you should, and I love that, because <laughs> God is using your platform so uniquely. And I mean, let's be honest. Um, I personally, I don't think that Satan's got a funny bone in his body. <laughs> Having said that, uh, I believe God invented humor. And when, when we see what you guys are able to communicate to an audience that the church, no evangelist, no pastor, no priest or pope, is going to get to the audience that you guys are reaching. And you guys are also, what I believe, is almost, um, you test the culture and you, and, and you not only test the culture, you test the person that is consuming your product, for the lack of a better term. When somebody reads something uh, at Babylon Bee that I think is extremely funny, because first of all, I have no problem laughing at myself <laughs> right. or what, 
or what you guys just pointed out is so incredibly true. When I see the person next to me look at it and say, oh, that's despicable. It tells me so much about them that there's something broken <laughs> in them because they can't laugh at that. You know? Yeah, we find that when we find that when someone gets very offended by satire, now, I'm not saying that there's not a line that people can't cross. Like, obviously, there's humor that's God-honoring and there's humor that's not God-honoring, sure. and you have to be careful of that. But at the same time, when someone reads a satirical piece uh, or watches a funny video or whatever, and they get offended, it often says more about the person exactly. than it does about the, the comedy. Um, I, you know, I think it, we consume a lot of comedy that's, that comes from the secular world, right. and most of the time, if there's a joke about Christians or the church, I can laugh at it and go, yeah, that's kind of true. Exactly. Without getting super offended or trying to cancel that person or trying to burn that comedian's whole career down or whatever. Right. <laughs> Which is not what you see on the left. Right. You know, it's funny, the, the stereotype of Christians is that we're the kind of 1950s footy-duddies that can't laugh at anything. We're the guys who are sitting in the corner at the party and like, you know, oh, you guys yeah. are having too much Sh fun. And, shame. Yeah. <laughs> and now it seems to me that the secular, secular left has become so zealously religious about their beliefs, so blindly religious that they're now the ones who take themselves so seriously. Very stoic. Well, and that, and that makes depressed. a great it makes a great target for a joke. Like that's why that's why <laughs> Hollywood's beat Christians up for five decades. That's true. Because we were so serious, you know. And now it's like it feels like the church has lightened up and been able to laugh at our. We've been the butt of so many jokes. We're able to laugh at ourselves. Good point. The left wants to tear you down when you when you make fun of them, as we've seen it. Yeah, the and they don't know what to do with you guys. Right. They really don't. <laughs> I don't know who it is, maybe you know, but some famous memer out there uh, <laughs> said that progressives or leftists can't meme. Yeah. And you know, it's so true because um, you've got to be able to see things in life in such a way. The congregation that I pastor over, um, they, they know me and, I've, and, and I, I disclose it to them that, um, that for me, I see things in cartoon fashion and for me, uh, people think I have a profound memory. I don't. It's just that what I see, I see everything very technicolor. And I see things almost with captions over people's heads. And for that, I'm able to remember a situation or somebody that I've met or their name. But in many ways, it's able, it enables me to cope with what's going on. As a pastor, I'm not a remote pastor. I'm here hands-on. I meet with people who are dying or their child has just been told that there's some gender type, whatever, and the parents are coping. And for me to be able to deal with that, um, I've got to be able to see uh, this situation in, in, a, in an area of hope. And a lot of people don't equate humor with hope, but there's a great connection. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, G.K. Chesterton wrote a famous essay, um, well, famous for G.K. Chesterton. <laughs> exactly. Anyway, that was, uh, it was called, uh, on, on, I think it's called On Chasing After One's Hat or On Running After One's Hat. And he made this point that when you know you face some hardship in your life, whether it's large or small, and he uses the example of a distinguished gentleman whose hat blows off his head, and now he's frustrated and his whole day's ruined because he has to chase his hat down and be an idiot, you know, on the street running as everybody's laughing Looking at him. Looking like a fool. He looks like a fool, and he says that we should enjoy being the butt of the joke. We should enjoy, you know, see yourself as the star of a sitcom, yeah. not not the star That's of good. this great drama, you know, and you'll enjoy your life. You'll be much more content. Why in life. can't we? Why can't we, Kyle? enjoy humor at our expense. What's wrong with us? Look, I'm old enough to be your dad. I remember an America that laughed at itself. Mm -hmm. I grew up in an era where when we did something, 
uh, it could be laughed at and made fun of. There were there was something in my day when I was a kid that it was like the Dean Martin roast. You can watch <laughs> them maybe on YouTube, Bean Crosby, Bob Hope. I mean, they're ripping into these guys that are on the platform and they're all laughing. I mean, somebody's, somebody's making fun of Ronald Reagan, the president or the governor at the time, and people are laughing, including Reagan. And now you'll get sued for that kind of stuff. What's happened? Yeah, you know, it feels to me like in order, the power of comedy is a uniting power, right? That when you do find normal people, whether on the left or the right, and there are some people on the left who are kind of at least normal or at least, you know, as the Overton window fewer shifts. Numbers, fewer but... numbers. Well, as the Overton window shifts, you still have some people <laughs> that are kind of finding themselves left behind by the Democratic mm -hmm. Party as it goes crazier and crazier. But when you can find that common ground, that's what humor helps us do, is yeah. it helps us to all kind of come together and laugh at each other. You know, and growing up with groups of friends, you'd make fun of each other for this or that. And, right. it was, and you never saw it as, you know, oh, this guy said this, cancel him, don't. You never cried you, about it. You never cried about it. And, I mean, I think the other side of it, as like I was saying before, the secular left takes themselves so seriously that they can't laugh at themselves. Um, and also, and that's just a difference in worldview. That's because right. what, 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 they, what they see is that their, their political beliefs are salvation, right? Because they don't have an idea mm -hmm. of God. They don't have an idea that there's a hope in the future and all this political stuff that we're fighting over. While there's important battles, you know, sure. Christ reigns over history. We're going to get there. Like, right. we know the That's end. Right. We know we, the end of the story. We read the book. We can laugh about it, This, right. the ins and outs of, of, of what's going on. Whereas if they think that their political philosophy will bring heaven on earth, right will bring salvation to mankind. Yeah. Then if you were laughing at it, it's like laughing at their religion. Yeah, you're exactly. And you're so scoffing and mocking them. And right. They, they can't, can't cope themselves. with that. Right. They can't cope with that. Um, do you guys have like an arch enemy, number one type of a, is it a group or is it a person that just can't handle you guys? They actually maybe even campaign against you somehow? <laughs> or, or is that just the federal government? <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, right now it's a massive, like, alliance against us, uh, you know, big tech collusion against us. Um, we've had everyone come after us from CNN to the fact checkers to Twitter to Facebook to the New York Times. Um, we had an ex-CIA agent that was coming after us on Twitter saying that we were far-right disinformation disguised as satire. Um, it, it, it's like this. Wow, <laughs> that would be brilliant. <laughs> you know, I don't know about the whole <laughs> deep state conspiracy theories or whatever, but it feels like there is this thing, you know, that uh, I don't know if that's a spiritual battle or, or what that is, but it, 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 there is this alliance against us, you know, and, and, and it is, we are treated completely differently than other, you know, satire sites that are on the left or comedians that are on the left. We get fact-checked constantly, you know, and they'll say that we're... Uh, Help me... <laughs> We're talking satire here, yeah, and, right. and yet fact-checked. How does that possibly, give me an example, how does that possibly work out? The last thing I'd ever expect is that for the fact-checkers who need fact-checking, are fact-checking you guys? Yeah, yeah, constantly. Like I, I think we might have 40 or 50 different joke fact-checks out there. And, um, and what's concerning about that isn't, you know, it, it is funny to me. Like, we did yeah. a joke saying that Ocasio-Cortez went on the Price is Right and guessed that everything is free. And the, <laughs> see, I and mean, that's, that's great. <laughs> and there's a fact check of it on Snopes, you know, but and it, to me, it makes the joke funnier. Actually, yeah. oh my gosh. <laughs> did you think that actually happened? That was no, falling. my oh, point okay. is right. I'm, I'm stupefied <laughs> as to how bad it is that they can't laugh. 
Right. That they like that's funny, right? I mean, regardless, regardless of which side you come from, you know, AOC had to have laughed at that. Yeah, I right, would hope. You'd hope so, right? But, but to think that somebody got their their knickers in a wad over that is both extremely funny and horrifically tragic <laughs> at the same time. It is funny because if you Google that joke, the first result is Snopes, and it says, "Did Ocasio Cortez really go on The Price Is Right and guess that everything is free?" False. You know, and then there's a thousand-word debunking of the article, which they I make mean, it. They make you. You know, it, it says something about the target of the satire. If you can't tell that, that that's false immediately, right on the, right on its face. But the concerning thing about it, you know, oh it, it does make God. us laugh. But the concerning thing about it is that there's this kind of big tech cabal, where if a fact checker labels you as false, now Facebook rates you as an unreliable news source. So now your links start to get suppressed on Facebook, you know. And then Twitter and Facebook are talking, and then they start to suppress you. And we're banned from Twitter right now too. So, so. because, okay, I'm trying to follow this. Help me out, because it's this is not my world, but. If they ban you guys or label you guys as disinformation or false information, yet you're a satire organization, a comedic product, that they've actually put you guys in the realm of opposition politically. You are, you are political opposition. Well, you know, and they, they don't say that outright. No, they what, don't. What they say is this but, is a disinformation site or, a, you know, this site is, 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 is confusing people, so it's rated down in the in the metrics or because whatever. it's satire well, yeah but they don't really kind of acknowledge that it's satire it's like false fact check false they made a false statement you know I, the, the very first one we did we, we had the, one of our very first fact checks was we said that cnn purchased an industrial washing machine to spin the news in and i, I, I remember reading that facebook it's, tried to take us off their platform demonetized the platform us because that was false because cnn news. didn't really buy a washing machine because they didn't re well as far as we know they didn't that didn't actually happen. Unbelievable. I'm sorry. Let me again. I'm stupid now. I'm asking you. <laughs> was that a real human that decided that to to, uh, to critique you guys like that, or are those bots? Or, what is that? So this, uh, the way that we think it works is that there's a real human at Snopes or the different fact-checking sites who decides we're going to fact-check this one, and then Facebook has an algorithm that feeds any fact-check from Snopes and it grabs it on their sites as all right, this one is labeled as false. You're, you get dinged for sharing a false story. And, you know, they do that with USA Today. They do that with AP fact-checkers. They do that with Snopes. So we've gotten fact-checked many times on different topics. Uh, and so now we have a very low rating in the system. <laughs> we are a purveyor of, of false information. Has it hurt you guys at all, that, oh, yeah, that technology side of it? Yeah, absolutely. We get completely suppressed on Facebook. You know, any link you share to BabylonB.com, your friends probably won't see. Uh, we went from getting, you know, uh, we'd post a joke that would get, 50,000 shares, 100,000 shares on Facebook to sh links that get 10 shares. You know, that's the level of... And it's so obvious. That, and it's I mean, quite obvious. Even yeah. in our sermons, we'll, I'm not known to be politically correct. And it's, it is, you, you know, I'll look and see three days later where a, a, a message will have, you know, normally 100,000, something 200,000 views, and it's got 57,000 or, or even or just 10,000. Something's up. Yeah. Something's up. But... Um, what about, um, and, and we're kind of going into areas that are kind of yet maybe uh, not announced or fully announced, but um, we've been told on our end regarding religious content that there is some sort of hope coming. Uh, part of this truth social uh, team, we've heard that there's going to be things coming where we'll be able to uh, actually speak and preach and do what we do uncensored. Um, have you heard anything about that as well? Is there anything that you might be able to say that uh, there there is a fair game coming to town? 
Well, I'll say that there there is some hope from different angles, and I don't know exactly how everything's gonna gonna shake out in the end, but. Um, Obviously, we have all these alternative social sites that are coming out, and that's a positive thing. It's good to, to be able to put your content on 20 different platforms instead of just the two big guys. Yeah, true. At the same time, a lot of those smaller sites, they're not going to drive the same amount of traffic. You're not going to be reaching the same audience. Right. It kind of puts you in this echo chamber where you're not reaching mm -hmm. the people that you're trying to reach. You know, a Babylon Bee article that goes viral on Facebook is going to get us a lot more traffic, a lot more exposure, a lot more... Tucker Carlson appearances than something that does well on Parler or on Truth yeah. Social or these different sites. Um, obviously, with, with things like like Elon Musk putting in his offer to buy Twitter, it seems like there is this, even within the big tech companies, there is this pushback. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we even saw it with Netflix, that Netflix is telling its employees to, you know, if, if, if we're going to make non-woke content, you just have to deal with it or quit, you know? <laughs> yeah. So you're seeing a lot of these guys that made this bed that they have to lie in now starting to say, wait a minute, you know, we're going to be in trouble. And you saw it with Twitter, with Elon Musk, they're having to clean up their act because they're realizing now that they're doing things that aren't good for business just um, just because they want to push their woke ideology and agendas. So I've been encouraged by some of the developments that we've seen wow. in that area. Yeah, yeah. Something's got to happen. Something's going to give. I mean, something has to. People give. are people are waking up and rebelling against it. Absolutely. Gosh, I laughed. Uh, you guys, something to the effect where Elon Musk was buying Twitter, but he woke up. Right, he woke up the next morning. There's like 300 and 138,000 board member votes that had been <laughs> counted during the night. And that's right. Yeah. You know that just that kind <laughs> of stuff just. You know, everybody who's watching the news from either spectrum has got to just say, oh, that is funny. So your Christmas stuff, what's what's your what's your favorite? Do you have a genre? Do you have a season? Or for you, is it just each day? Um, so a lot of our process is definitely like waking up in the morning, looking at the news. How can we make fun of this? You know, and you want, you, you know, we are there to communicate truth. We are there to, to um, you know, deliver a message that we want to deliver. But at the same time, um, a lot of the problem with a lot of Christian or conservative content in the past has been that they put the message first in such a blatant and obvious way that, you know, it, the comedy suffers or right. the creativity suffers. Right. So we definitely try to do a comedy first approach or humor first approach where if it's not funny, it's not going to get published. It doesn't matter how good your point is. Yeah. Uh, you know, if, you're right. just, if right. this is just an op-ed in disguise, then any number of websites yeah, could do tons that. tons of those. We'd rather be funny, you know. Um, I mean, for me personally, I love I love doing the classic Christian jokes and church humor jokes because that's my wheelhouse. That's yeah. my world. I, make, making jokes about your own is always my Absolutely. favorite. Absolutely. You know, and some people will get upset and say, "Why do you make fun of Christians so much?" I'm like, "Because oh, no, we love because we love Christians." Yeah, yeah. That's why. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and you know what? And it and it makes it it makes the Christian audience that's viewing or or reading your content it makes them stop and look on the inside to ask, "Is that true? Right? Is that really happening?" I mean, honestly, you, you mentioned, or, or, did you mention or did we talk about it before going on on the air about, um, yeah, you just did, about the Holy Spirit, the fog machine. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> that kind of stuff. I mean, truly, it's like, oh, that's funny. Because look, in Christian ministry, we could get so caught up in the lighting and in the fog and in the stuff that we forget to stop and ask God to bless the service. Yeah, you guys have a disappointing lack of fog here on this set. I'm I've noticed this. If we pretty tragic. If we all, if we were only sensitive to the Holy Spirit, <laughs> we would have had His fog here. <laughs> well, that's just a, the right amount of fog, <laughs> so He could move. <laughs> well, that's the good, 
that's the kind of prophetic or cutting edge of satire is that it makes you laugh and then it makes you think. Uh, G.K. Chesterton once said that uh, humor can get in under the door while seriousness is still fumbling at the handle. Wow. And that's like so accurate, you know. If you read an article that says like, you know, 10 things you should be doing differently in your worship services. You know, you might already be on guard or like, what are they saying is wrong with my worship services? I love it. You know, but if you write a joke that's just lighthearted, making fun of uh, kind of something that we do in worship services, right. then people are willing to laugh at it and then think, oh, maybe there's something, maybe we are swinging too far that way or that way right. or whatever. So take us uh, into the, the day in the life of being at the at the B. What, what happens? Yeah, I mean, it's a super fun group of guys you know I, well and that's that's the funny thing about all the fact checks and the and the censorship and you know one of the things the new york times said was that we are a um, we are far right misinformation source um, disguised as humor disguised as satire which is similar to what the cia agent guy said um, and it couldn't be further from the truth because when you juxtapose that against what we do day to day you know, we're guys that are sitting around in a circle in a very small office, which we're about to get a bigger one, but we're sitting around in a very small office just looking at each other like, well, what do you got today? What's funny? You know, what's making you laugh? You know, and, and we're making each other laugh. We're cracking jo oh. jokes um, and and just looking for the ones that float to the surface, you know, and this is kind of my job as the editor is to like, you know, filter stuff out, you know, that's really funny, but we would get in trouble for telling that joke. You know, Calvary Chapel would be mad at us for telling that joke, so don't do that one. There's got, oh no, tell it. <laughs> tell it, please. It's gotta be, um, I mean, do you guys ever, uh, sitting around that circle, do you ever just say, you know what, that was such a bad, I don't, don't even, <laughs> don't even try to come up with something like that again. Well, I think a good rule for writing comedy and, and creativity is having your, Having your uh, space where you pitch your ideas, having that be a safe space, and they can. Yeah, and I know, yeah. I, know I know we hate the term. No, space I know what you mean, you but it, but you sh you're right. It should yeah. be like that. You're not going to get canceled or lose your career right. over a bad pitch or a pitch right. that's too far. Uh, let it loose, you know. Right on. You can't write. You can't write creativity. You can't write comedy from. You a mean place First of fear. Amendment kind of stuff. For, right, exactly. Wow. You can't write it from a place of fear. You have to write it from a place of boldness or just being true to what you're what you're feeling. You know, it has, and yeah. that's. I mean, good comedy, what does everybody always say? Like, that joke is so true, you know, uh, and mm -hmm. that's why, is because you're writing something that's true. So if you're, if you're writing something just to please an audience or you're writing it because you're afraid, oh, we can't go too far this way or that way, then it's not, it's, you're going to lose your edge. At the same time, as the editor, I have to then, I, I think there is a place for filtering and saying, does that go over the line this way or that way? And that's the editorial process. So that's more I've got the pitches collected and then I'm kind of filtering through or editing things, uh, you know, trimming off edges to, to kind of get what we want. Um, we also shoot a lot of videos now. We're doing a lot of sketch comedy uh, on YouTube mm -hmm. and, and elsewhere, and um, and we're doing podcasts and all that. So then, so a good chunk of our week is writing stuff for that. And, and that's that's my favorite is sitting down and writing a sketch. You know, we, we sit down and write an idea. Really? And it's, you know, if you ever sat around with your friends and joked around, I mean, that's the that's what the feel is for writing a sketch because you're all throwing jokes in and ideas and wow. a lot of fun. I was completely blown away, caught off, caught off uh, surprise, just shocked actually to see that you guys had interviewed Elon Musk. I can't imagine how that even came together. <laughs> uh, I, would, I would first of all have to assume that he's a fan, which is an incredible yeah. honor to have Musk as a fan but to get him into your, right, I assume you got him into your offices? We actually flew out to a studio and had him meet us there, uh, kind of closer to him. So it was, 
it, it was a whirlwind. It was incredible. Yeah, he, he had interacted with our content um, on Twitter and such before where he'd reply yes. to a joke or yes. laugh at a joke, share a Babylon Bee joke, that kind of stuff. Sure. So we knew that he was a fan. Um, but, you know, our podcast, we, we typically will interview pastors or, uh, you know, apologists sure. and just, you know, we, we kind of we kind of stay mostly in the Christian sphere or comedians, stuff like that. And so uh, Elon Musk was definitely out of our league for an interview. And um, <laughs> we had a we had an assistant podcast producer who kind of without um, without really running it by anyone, just started DMing people on Twitter asking wow. if people would come on her podcast. You know, and uh, and he kind of calls me in a, in a frantically, you know, Kyle, uh, Elon Musk just replied to our Twitter DM. What do I do? You know, <laughs> and so he basically replied and said, uh, you know, fly out tomorrow and we'll do the interview and, you know, just let me know where to meet you guys. Get a studio and let me know where to meet you guys. And so it was that quick. Um, and we did it. And it was out. It was out two days later. You know, we had our, our podcast production team was working nonstop for 48 hours to, to do the post-production on that and get it out on the, on the yeah, YouTube yeah. channel. And it was just, it was awesome. Just quite an incredible thing. <laughs> how did you, how did you find him to be, you know, everybody asked that question. Everybody wants to know, what's he like when the, when the mic's off and the lights are off? Oh, it was great. I mean, he, he was such a cool person that he came in and sat down and, you know, we were all very nervous, obviously, you know, like this is the, the biggest interview that we'll ever do. I mean, and, it's, yeah, it's, we didn't feel worthy or deserving to be doing this, you know, like just there's other better qualified interviewers that could be doing this. <laughs> and we sat down and, uh, and he just sat down. He almost started interviewing us. Like he just sat down like, I love the Babylon Bee. How did you guys get started? And, you know, he was just asking us questions and we're just kind of caught off guard trying to answer him. And then we kind of just flowed into the interview and it was very, it was almost very informal. And he just, we just let him talk and such an interesting guy, um, obviously very intelligent, yeah. and um, and just a wide range of topics from humor and cancel culture and comedy to, uh, you know, we were asked, asked him a very technical question about his rockets, and he went off for ten minutes about it. And <laughs> about his toys, yeah, yeah, right, right, right. It's amazing. Yeah, it was quite a cool thing. And then he, and then he was gracious enough to hang out with us for another hour or so after no the kidding. after the cameras were off and. And just just wanted to talk about the Babylon Bee and, and him and and the way the culture's going and it, it was very cool. You know, we so, wish we left the cameras on. <laughs> wow, isn't that true? So just personally, what what do you think? Um, he's South African, right? Yeah, yeah. But he lives here, obviously now. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, so, where do you think he's at? Uh, is he moving more center or right or? Where's he at in his worldview of, I mean, I mean, I was gonna say poor guy, unfortunate guy in the sense that he's, you know, he was their darling, the leftist darling for a long time, and then mm -hmm. now he's asked people to use their own minds and think, and they hate him now. Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's a little bit of both. He's like, he's probably, you know, I, I can't speak for him necessarily, obviously, but um, he's probably moving slightly right, while Democrats are moving incredibly left. And so both of that makes it look like he's going That's far true. right or whatever, but he's... he's That's he's, a good point. You know, it's the same thing with Bill Maher. If you watch him now, you know, Bill Maher will go on there and say things that sound like... It's just normal things that people believed five years ago makes him seem like a far-right Nazi or whatever. <laughs> you know, that's yeah. like how Bill Maher, anyway, you know, that's the stuff that the left will accuse him of, you know, being this far-right guy now. And he's like, I'm just saying that boys are boys and girls are girls. Like, right. <laughs> you know? right. Um, so there's probably some of that Overton window shifting with, um, with yeah. Musk. Um, I think he, he is probably a classical liberal... 
Um, you know, just that he does value free speech. That seems to be one of his yeah. big rallying cries is free speech and freedom. And, right. um, and that puts him at odds with Democrats nowadays, sadly. That's right. So you being the editor-in-chief, you've got to know funny when you see funny. <laughs> yeah. Right? So it's not just a title for you. You know what you're doing. Is this something that you, that you just all your life, it's the way that God wired you, that you saw things funny? Is it something where there was a click? Maybe you, was it a movie? Was it was it a was it an event where something just got the sparks and wheels flying? Yeah, my you know I always say I, I don't know if I was that funny growing up or whatever, but my my family always says, oh yeah, you were the like you were the clown class, of the family. Like yeah. don't you realize you know? the entertainer, the class? Clown. But I think I was I always had a dry sense of humor. Like I, I didn't I wasn't the over the top like oh I'm the guy who's gonna throw a pie in his face or yes. whatever. It was more dry commentary or, or just that wry wittiness. So I loved. I love all the old Christopher Guest documentaries like oh. Spinal Tap and Mighty Wind and Best in yes. Show. You know, those are the Best ones in show. Oh those are the goodness. ones that speak to me, you know, because it is you're finding this little subculture and you're doing this very dry is this is this real? Is this a joke? I don't know what this is when you first watch right. those those uh, movies. So I've always loved that kind of humor um, and that obviously fits very well with Babylon B. So yeah, when I saw the Babylon B posted on my on my Facebook feed the first day it launched, I I looked at it and I this is it. this is what I want to do, you know. <laughs> I told my wife I had ju we had just moved into a new house and I was still working at the old sales job and I said, I want to do this writing thing full time if we ever, if it ever happens. Right. You know, and she's she's been very supportive. You know, she's like, well, if you want to quit and do it, do it. But she, in the back of her mind, was always like, how is this writing ever going to make money? Like writing yeah. these Christian jokes. You can do you all know? you want. Just pay the mortgage <laughs> as long and... as you pay, pay right. the bills. And God's been gracious in that area. So, <laughs> what are the what are the setbacks? What makes it what what makes it a hard day for you? What's a hard day? Well, I mean, any, I, I find that as humans, we can always find misery in any situation, no matter how good, you know, <laughs> like it's so, it's so tempting to, to be discontented with your life. You know, if you're, mm. if you're a, a, a cashier or, or yeah. you know, a sales guy or, or, or a banker or whatever, you're, you can always find something that makes you uh, depressed about your job, true. you know. Um, I mean, for us, it's the, the worst is the, um, uh, not being able to find the joke, not being able to find the right, you know, angle, the right thing. Um, with comedy on the internet, it's especially difficult because you're not a stand-up comic where you can get that instant Tone feedback and, and it fuels you and, you know, you say something and you hear everybody laugh and you're like, okay, good, I'm, I'm on the right track, you know. Right. So when I do, when I do uh, like a speech uh, somewhere, when I go give a presentation and read some Babylon Bee headlines, you get that, like the crowd is, the crowd loves it, you know, and you can get that instant feedback. On, on, the internet it's difficult because you don't get to you don't get that instant feedback you know you, you maybe you get some likes or comments or shares and mm. and then but that's so mechanical it's just numbers it doesn't yeah. really it doesn't show you the person who's texting it to their friend and the, the group texts that go around everybody tells me you about where it. they're sharing Babylon B articles that's exactly what happens here yeah you don't <laughs> see the pastors on Sunday who show a Babylon B headline to their congregation like you don't get all that feedback all you see is that number so when there's things like suppression on Facebook or suppression on Twitter or whatever, you know, you're not getting that feedback. You're like, oh, we're not getting the shares we want. You know, that can make you go, ah, oh, we're really not funny. Wow. You know, so for six years I've been saying I'm not funny. I don't have any more jokes. And uh, <laughs> and then the next day you always you always are hit with something to. So to like um, like I've heard that comedians go through, certainly pro athletes go through a slump. Sure. Um, how how would you get out of a slump? Yeah, if that's true. 
I mean, I, I think, like I was talking about the Chesterton earlier with the chasing your hat thing, that's something that we constantly quote around the office. You know, if there's a day where, oh, there's no jokes coming together or this, you know, we say, well, it's just a chasing your hat day. We're just, we can be the idiots today and right. we don't always have to be the ones who are clever. And um, I, so I think we have to keep that in mind. And I have to just constantly slap myself and remind, you know, yeah, uh, 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 you know not literally, but I, I have to constantly slap myself and remind myself, like, you tell jokes on the internet for a living you got it easy, you know. Yeah, you're not, it's 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 the Israelites <laughs> in the desert, you know, when they get they get get rescued from Pharaoh, and then it's like, oh, we should have gone back there, you know. Right. I'm like, I always have to remember, like, oh, well, you were sitting at a sales job working 80, 80 hours a week, hating your life, you know, five, four or five years ago. So, uh, so true. you have to try to be content in that, and remember, keep things in perspective. I mean, and even where we are in human history, just yep. that, you know, we wrote a Babylon Bee headline once that was like. You know, I'm bored, says kid who has more things than royalty had a hundred years ago. You know, and, and yeah. there's a kid sitting there with his all his video game consoles, and you know, and but that's me too. It's like I sit there exactly. and go, ah, oh, you know, life is hard, and I'm like, well, you know, a hundred years ago I would have been farming my own food, and <laughs> right, exactly it's so right. it's so hard to to, or it's so easy to forget like where we are in human history and how content that should make right. us. You know, do you see funny in in just things naturally though? I mean. Um, like you guys have to sit down in an office, so to speak, and put things together. But are you not just because it's such a part of who we are right. as as created in the image of, of God that aren't you just kind of always on the funny note, so to speak? Not not being funny because that could be obnoxious. Sure. <laughs> but what I'm saying is like um, you just saw that, you know, yesterday I saw a squirrel fall out of a tree. I thought that was <laughs> incredibly hilarious, yeah. especially when the squirrel score was okay, then it was even more funny. But, um, you know, those kinds of things. Are you just, does, do you see things? Because a hundred people can look at something, but you look at the exact same thing, I would assume, and you see it just a little yeah. different. Well, my wife's constantly having to hit the back of my head because I'm writing headlines in church, you know, like I'm oh. watching what's happening and writing, writing something awesome. down. And, uh, we're that going, is great. We're going to a Calvary Chapel right now, so there's a ton of content. Great content. Yeah, at a Calvary, yeah. lots of stuff right. to make fun of. <laughs> yeah, awesome. so you have, but but I think that's a good that's a good habit to cultivate for anybody. Not yeah. the writing during church, but the finding <laughs> finding you well, taking notes. Taking notes. That's what it is. Of yeah. course you are. <laughs> In my own way. That's right. That's right. Um, you, did did you say you had kids? Yeah. Yeah. Three boys. Um, ages. Yeah, they're 13, 11, and, oh, actually 12. One just turned 12. 13, 12, and 6. What, uh, with the older ones anyway, what uh, what becomes of their friends when they say, or they find out, my dad writes for the Babylon? Yeah, Day. yeah, my my um, my eldest is very embarrassed because he's a shy kid, and uh, I I go to pick him up at, at the junior high, and, uh, and all his friends know the Babylon Bee, and they're like, I watched your show today. I watched your podcast. You know, you, you know. So they go to a Christian school, so they're all they're all in on it. My middle son more likes it. It's his claim to fame. So there you go. Um, yeah, <laughs> isn't that something? Yeah, that's awesome. So you personally, um, what's been your faith journey with with Jesus? How did this happen to you? Where where did that all begin? Yeah, I uh, I grew up in a Christian home um, up here at PFB. You know, a Purpose Church huh? now uh, for. Um, for the first 18 years, I went there in my life, and then uh, uh, it was I got baptized in first, for my freshman year of, of high school there, and uh, that was kind of the moment that I, you know, I had grown up in the church, and it's so easy in the church to find um, 
to, to kind of become that self-righteous guy who's, mm -hmm. you know, I was the guy with all the Awana trophies and very, oh. very proud of myself, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I think that was when I realized, you know, um, I don't know, a lot of people, a lot of people that, that come to faith later in life have to repent of all the worldliness and move, you know, to the church. I felt like in a lot of ways I had to repent from the idols in the church, mm. you know, to find Christ. Sure, there, yeah, I see that. You know? um, and, and so that was, that was kind of the journey where I, where I came to know the Lord. And then, um, and then from there it was just growth and Bible study. I had, I had a great youth pastor who, who taught the word of God very mm. strongly from the pulpit in the youth, in the youth center there. And uh, uh, so I really learned to love the Bible um, and take it, take it seriously in a, like, that was the first time I had heard like real hardcore, like through, uh, through the books of the Bible, expositional preaching, being able to hear like, like we're going to preach through the book of Galatians Yes, was like this, wow, this is, uh, yeah. this is incredible. You know, and I got to hear that um, for the first time. So that, you know, and then I, I, I bounced around at various different churches. Like I said, that gives a lot of material for the Babylon Bee, you know, doing different church plants and different denominations through the years. And it gives you a lot of material. <laughs> It's incredible. It's so good. Um, this is one reporter's opinion, is that as I look at what you put out, being a pastor and in the Word, I'm always encouraged by how um, how solid you guys are in your humor. And I don't mean solid like um, not funny. I mean solid funny, where what you're talking about is a biblical issue or truth that has its answer and and we the believers can tell when we're reading it or seeing it this guy knows what he's talking about these guys know and uh you know i've never gone on the babylon b to you know wikipedia you guys are to see what your statement of faith is if it's out there it comes across it's clear god's using it it's remarkable um we love it um in the closing moments um what do you see the future of the Babylon Bee becoming? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we, we've had a lot of irons in the fire for a lot of years. Um, you know, it's a, it's a small but growing company where we're in this kind of act two, if you will, of, of the company growth phase now where it's like you're, you're moving from, you know, a couple guys in a garage to, you know, now we have people that are working out. I mean, you wouldn't believe the Babylon Bee, you know, if I told you that two or three years ago, uh, I was the only employee, you know, and we were, <laughs> we were still, you know, we had other writers that were contributing part-time or throwing in headlines or whatever. But, but uh, if there were, on a given day, we might've published eight articles and I might've pitched, wow. written and Photoshopped every single one, you know, like that was, yeah. a, wow. and so now we're kind of getting to a more sustainable level where we have Photoshoppers that I can go to. We have people that are writing articles that I can go to. I have a great managing editor that can run some of the day to day. Um, so that's kind of the, that's kind of the, uh, trajectory is like, we're, we're building this out and, um, we've looked at a lot of things like film projects and TV projects. Um, our video content on YouTube has been taken off, uh, being able to turn a lot of the Babylon B style headlines into a, into a full on sketch, you know, three or four minutes of, of really building out wow. that joke. It's been a lot of fun. We're looking at what it would mean to do something like Saturday Night Live from the perspective of the ba Babylon Bee. Incredible. Um, you know, ways that we can impact culture. We say that the Babylon Bee speaks truth to a culture that no longer believes in truth. Mm. And we're just looking for ways to do that, different formats. How do we go where the culture is and bring that message in a way that humor first, and then that message comes and punches people right afterwards. Wow, what you just said is a modern day version 
of the whole concept of a parable. Hmm. A parable, a parabolic teaching is ancient and it is something that theologians understand that it's God that invented parabolic teaching. When we read about the parables in the Bible, there's, they're not only localized to Jesus, there's parables in the Old Testament. But when Jesus taught a parable, that's what we see often recorded. What we don't realize is that in the Jewish way of preaching and teaching, the teacher had been teaching for an hour or two, in this case, rabbi, teacher, Jesus. And when he delivers the parable, it is taking the message that he just gave you and they put a bow on it with a memorable, colorful description. Mm -hmm. And so parabolic is para alongside cast, to cast truth alongside your head. And that's exactly what you guys are doing. You are wrapping up truth to be dropped alongside a head that wouldn't normally even consider it because it's that satire funny. It's extremely effective, obviously, which is why you guys are being so uh, uh, attacked because that's evidence of your effectiveness. And yet at the same time, we don't want you guys to ever get, right, so serious about your success. We, we want you guys to keep doing what, what, what you're doing. Uh, you guys are an incredible form of release for us, and we love it, and the world loves it. One of the things Babylon Bee has been doing a lot of is, is books. We have um, the sacred texts of the Babylon Bee, which is our best of collection that's awesome and beautiful and it looks like <laughs> a giant Bible on your shelf. Um, we have a uh, we have the Babylon Bee Guide to Wokeness, where we destroy wokeness and in, in all of its forms. We have How to Be a Perfect Christian, where we mock cult uh, church culture, and then uh, me and the managing editor of the Babylon Bee, Joel Berry, just uh, have had a novel that's uh, coming out on June seventh. I don't know when this airs, but yeah, and it's uh, it's called the Postmodern Pilgrim's Progress, um, and we take John Bunyan's classic Pilgrim's yes, Progress, put a sci-fi and a humor twist into it. Oh. And we have a, a kind of a, uh, a guy who's a little bit of an agnostic, doesn't really know what's going on, and he kind of goes through this journey where he, he meets God through these encounters of woke people and uh, <laughs> you know people in the uh, you know, charlatans in the church and this and that. And, and uh, so we, we took that structure that Bunyan did so well of you know Mr. Worldly Wise Man and, yes. and, uh, and all these characters that we all encounter. And you'll, you'll read the book and look at the people and go, I know that guy at church or I know that guy yeah. in oh the world. Gosh, and that's great. So that's been a lot of fun and the response has been, has been great from people who, who have taken a look so far. Fantastic, so sometime around June 7th-ish? June the, 7th is the release. Yeah. Is the release? Mm -hmm. Going to be available Amazon everywhere? Amazon and, uh, and non-woke places as well. No, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> uh, publisher is? Uh, Salem Books. Fantastic. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, listen, Kyle, keep it up. Don't stop. We love you guys. And uh, we so appreciate you taking the time to be with us. And we actually wanted you to be here um, just so that we could get near, closer to <laughs> the Babylon Bee. So thank you, brother. Well, thanks Incredible. a lot. I appreciate it. God bless you. Yeah. Our pleasure. This Jack Kemp's podcast, as well as all the broadcast outreach opportunities, are listener-supported. Will you consider partnering with us through a special gift? Go to jackhibbs.com to learn more and stay connected. Real life, hey.